This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with the lead under 15 and 16 coach at Leeds United Academy, Michael Morton. He discusses the environment that has been created at Leeds and how this can be attributed to Marcelo Bielsa, what he's learned from watching Bielsa and how this has affected the academy, as well as strategies for changing systems during games. As always, please help me grow this podcast by recommending it to friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Right. First of all, Mike, really appreciate you jumping on. I know we've been going back and forth for a while and our schedules have not mirrored up. Um, how are you? Are you all safe and well? Are you looking forward to the game tonight? Sure am, yeah. Um, like, just to mirror what you said there, no, it's good to good to be on. We've done some good work over the last year or so. Um, so it's, I'm, I'm happy to be on. Myself, yes, I'm doing well. Trying to uh, sort of find ways to work around this pandemic. But we're uh, we're finally getting there and, and getting back to normal with uh, with the club that I'm working at. And the game tonight, really excited, if I'm honest. Really excited. I think um, it's been like an up and down sort of tournament I think, for us. I think when we're talking about performance levels, I think uh, there's a lot of questions around the systems and how we're playing. We're going to go be attackive. And I just think the last couple of games, I think we've been superb. I think we're going into this tonight with a... With a bit of form, and uh, I think like a, I think we'll go like in a positive way as well, and really go and attack the game. So that's why I'm excited about it. I guess close to your close to your heart, we've potentially got the Yorkshire Perlo playing in centre midfield as well, which I'm sure you're happy with. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's an unbelievable story, isn't it? I think um, I was thinking about it, it's all over Sky Sports, and the lads are talking about it, obviously in the office every day. It's just great to see where where he's come from. Um, 14-year-old coming into Leeds United from grassroots um, and, and just sort of getting his head down and working hard over the last four or five years. And then I think Marcelo coming in, sort of being the icing on the cake to, to sort of open up the his sort of vision of the game and, and just sort of pigeonhole him as a, and a real adapted midfielder, someone who can play as a holding role and number eight as well. And I just think that like, since, since Marcelo's come on, I just think he's hit another level. Um, and it's been like great to sort of see him put that England shirt on and and sort of perform really well. You know, I think I think in his first couple of games, I think everybody was a little bit on edge to see how he'd do, but he's just shown his qualities and um and shown that he's really adaptable as well. And I think he's been one of the standout players as well. So, you know, we can't complain. Just hoping he puts in another good performance tonight. Yeah, and no, I I've been really impressed with him. And from from my perspective, this might be controversial. I actually prefer him to Rice. I think he offers you a little bit more, and I, I think he's a little bit mobile, more mobile and stuff as well. So, in my opinion, again, football's a game of opinions. I actually prefer him over Rice, and if I had to choose one, if I was going in for a holder, he'd be the one that I chose. So, obviously, you, you've um, li- little discussion there around leads and whatnot. For people that maybe don't know you or haven't come across your work previously, do you just want to explain kind of what your role is at the moment and I guess a little bit of a, a stop tour of how, how you've ended up there? Yeah, it's, uh, I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> I think well, where I'm at the moment, so I'm the 15-16s lead at Leeds United um, and I have been since I've, I've come in the last four years. So I'm going into my fourth season now. 
I did have a little go last year with the with the under 14s, which which was very different. But currently back into the 15s, 16s role because I've got a good relationship with the the 18s and 23 staff now with everybody shuffling around. Um, so that's the role that I hold at the moment. Um, building up to that, I think looking back now, so 36. It's nearly my birthday now, so I'm coming to 37. Uh, hopefully I'm looking a bit younger than that <laughs> but yeah so and I've, I've been coaching for a long time I think if we just talk about my coaching career um, going back to when I was 16 17 I went out to a club where I needed to get some experience of playing men's football and get myself back fit after a few injuries the club that I actually went to the manager at the time worked for Leeds United um, was an ex-pro and the player who played up front we worked at Legion United as well so what I did is sort of through that time at the end of the season back in the day they used to marry up a, a community scheme with academy so they were full-time at the club so what they tried to do is is in the summer they tried to draft us in and do all their work in the summer in the community camps so I ended up doing that for my first season so I'd have been about 17 at the time so at the end of the season, got drafted into that. But it was good, bit of money and uh, never really thought I was going to be a coach at the time. And then just sort of started to learn the trend from there, started to get a bit of a passion for it. After a year or so doing that and playing still, came to sort of a bit of a crossroads of whether, where I wanted to go, try to get back into the game or whether to, to go down the coaching route. And I got an opportunity to then go in the academy at Leeds at a young age, uh, coaching. So I ended up working with a pre-elite which was a great start, then sort of built my way up working with the different age groups at Leeds, which saw me there for about seven, seven years or so. Then from there, I got an opportunity to go to Manchester City at 2009 when the Sheikhs took over, which sort of came out of the blue, if I'm honest. Um, a couple of staff that I knew from Leeds had, had gone across the, the M62 and, uh, and give me a call. So that was, that was an exciting time as well. So like the first meeting will have been around Christmas time. They sort of presented to us around what the visions was for the next 10 years. And I'm sort of sat thinking, that's a lot. And then, and then like when you look back now, you think, wow, you know, they've, they've achieved every sort of goal that they, they went for then. Um, at the time when I went to Man City, my first role was working sort of more around something that we were talking about before was setting up centres. So in the Yorkshire area, because there was um, there was things getting thrown around that one in eight professional footballers was from Yorkshire. So they wanted to get a bit of a foothold in in, in and around the, them areas. Obviously, with Liverpool and your Man United and all the big boys from the other side, um, they were already over this side of, of Yorkshire. So we, uh, so yeah, so that was part of my first job. And then, um, like we were saying, I started to do a bit of recruitment. So I started to work, uh, go and watch the 18s. 21s or the old reserve league at the time and um, first team and and then gradually built that up and, and eventually went over to the academy and worked within the academy um, so and then after that got an opportunity to go into semi-professional as a manager setting up my own academy um, and then that sort of led into sort of finding um, other pathways and building up connections and, and ending up back at Leeds so it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. I tried to keep that as short as possible, but uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a long old journey. I feel like I've been in it a lot longer than I have, but I can't complain uh, with some of the experiences I've had and and the people that I've worked with that where I can learn from and um, and still now touch base with them if if there's things that I need to sort of have a little think about or have them challenge me. So 
yeah, it's been a, a really good journey so far. Yeah, listen, I think loads of really good content there. So I'm sure people won't mind you you going through that. Definitely interesting, um, interesting topics to reach on. So if we look at kind of where you are now, for example, so you're, you're within Leeds, obviously 15, 16 um, lead, etc. So if we came and watched one of your games with your boys, what would you expect us to see? What would we see from kind of the Leeds United way, if you like? So if, if anybody's watched the first team the last three years, um, exactly like that. So um, it's been really, really good. So how how it sort of married up a little bit is when Marcelo first came in, um, I was always a massive fan of him before he came in. Um, and it sort of goes back to uh, a good friend of mine who's travelled a little bit of uh, South America, going back to when Marcelo took over at, at Chile. And uh, I still remember the full summer of the World Cup when, when uh, obviously... The Chile team came out of nowhere and uh, was causing havoc in the World Cup. And I just liked their style of how they played. So he started to study how he was and, and, and what he was, um, what his beliefs was and his methodology was. So for me, in my own sort of way of coaching and um, and the guy I was talking about went to South America, he was my right-hand man. So our own methodology, style of player identity, whatever you want to call it, we sort of tried to follow what he did anyway. So when I first came in at Leeds, at the same time as Marcelo, I had an opportunity to watch the drills. So I was just playing with the 15s, 16s, and credit to the academy manager and the head of coaching at the time, they sort of left the coaches to their own devices with just a bit of framework. So I was always trying to, to watch the first team and do things without fully understanding it, if I'm honest. Um, so I started from from sort of doing that and, and trying to tweak some of the stuff around the game model that we had and, and, and sort of mirror what he did. But now, uh, which, which is a brilliant experience and I think it's fantastic for all the coaches, from the 15s up to the first team now, we mirror the first team. Um, it's something that the the head of academy is, 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 is big on, the head of coaching as well. And the sort of reason behind it is because obviously Marcelo not being afraid to throw in young players and looking back even like Jude Billingham at the moment which is an example playing in the World Cup at 17 year old why can there not be a Leeds United 15 16 year old playing in the first team if they're good enough and the the easiest way to sort of help them with that transition is, is sort of replicating or mirroring exactly what the first team do so it's not alien to them when they get there so this moment in time, everything's getting passed down. We're following the same thing. Obviously, there's certain things that we have to hold back because of the, the time that we have with them and we don't want to overload them. But yeah, it um, just mirrors everything from, from the first team now. Um, you can you watch any game and we're on the front foot and really aggressive in everything we do. So hopefully that answers uh, the question. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does. And I guess for people that don't, um, are maybe outside or not that familiar with, Bielsa and his work um, previously, what key principles would you say there are within his play? So what key things would you say this is a strong belief of his? I, I think um, everything done with intensity. You know, all all the training drills, um, every little game that they do is, is just got to be intense. Every player's got to leave everything on the pitch. And I, I know every coach says that, but it's... Um, you've got to live it and breathe it and you've got to create a habit. So 
when you're looking at like the, the staff of the first team, um, like they're, they're just intense, they're always on on the front foot, and it just sort of draws a habit out of them. That's the first thing that springs to mind to me when we talk about Marcelo and how Leeds are, and it fits really well with the, the sort of the sort of history of Leeds United. You know, if you go back to the years of of dirty Leeds uh, back in the seventies and eighties, I'm not saying we're like that, but they were intense, weren't they? They were on the front foot, and I think that's why it's been a really good relationship between them. But that's the first thing that springs to mind for me, intensity um, and just making sure that, that they're really aggressive on everything that they do. So whether that's a, um, a press and you need to get there quick or whether that's a forward run, it's got to be intense. And how do you manage that? Because, uh, you know, people, well, some people are going to say that if you go intense all the time, the players and whatnot are going to break down and that. So how do you manage that within your sessions so that actually the sessions are intense? but they're able to sustain it over a, a, a week, a month, an entire season. Yeah, I think if you, you look at the modern game now, we've got the luxury of um, so many different staff within each team. So you're talking about the SNC, the medical side, everything's like sort of brought down to how long you should work for maximum sort of actions. So you might do 10 runs and then you, you move on to another drill. It's, everything's just calculated and got data backing it up now. So um, I think with that, it's it's brilliant. And I think it could be dangerous if you don't know what you're doing because I think we've all done it as coaches where you see a session where it's at high energy and you're loving it and you go, oh, we'll do an extra five minutes. But um, no, with us, it's it's when it gets to that time, it's finished and then you're done. Um, and I, I think it's just, just backed up with all the data and having the support of the staff who are experts in that field. So I think like looking at the first team now, sorry, looking at like the first team now, I think, you know, that they've sort of broke that all down and, and supported Marcelo and his team on, on what it looks like moving forward. And do you adapt like the session lengths according to how intense it is? So say, for example, we've had a, a hard day yesterday. It's an hour and a half. There's been flat out a lot of 11 v 11 work and whatnot. Would the following day still be intense, but very short duration in what, in what you're doing there? Yeah, I think I think even just with if you're looking at me last night, I've I've got um, SNC with me all the time, which I think most coaches do at clubs now. But it's just everything's just calculated. We have the meetings before. We know what minute we're working off. Um, how many ratios we've got to do. We, we call it actions, but um, yeah, everything's just calculated to the minute of what we're doing. Um, if we feel that, obviously, we've got the GPS data as well, which we've got the luxury of that, so we we know where they're at, and if um, if the data comes back too high, then we have to tweak the next day. But I think at this moment in time, I think right through from our age groups and to the top, we've sort of um, we're sort of running in line quite well at this moment in time. But like you said there, that there is times where you have to tweak it and it could be anything. It could be because the weather is really hot or um, you might have pushed them a little bit too hard the day before. But it's just, again, it's just about adapting and just understanding what you can get from your players. The only issue that we've got is, is, at 15 year olds, you've got different um, players at different levels when you're looking at the physical maturity as well. So it's just managing their sort of workload and where they're at. But that's why we've got the experts next to us managing that. And so when Marcelo first came into the club, was there anything about the way that he worked or the details behind what he did that surprised you or challenged you in the way that you worked? Yeah, 100%. Um... I won't go into too much detail around it, but I think just to sort of give you an overview, 
going back to when I said like I've watched him for a number of years and how he worked, I was expecting something totally different. I was expecting all this positional play, different systems and everything. But you know what what he's done is he's just simplified the game. Um, and I think you, you come across this as you, as you get more experienced in football, you actually start to simplify everything that you do. Um, you know, when you're younger and you see new sessions, you're delivering, it's got loads of different things going on. Um, and it's fantastic. It looks great on the eye. But have you actually got the the detail in, in there for the individual and the team? So the biggest thing that I take away from it is, is just stripping back your sessions. Um, give you an example. I was uh, a friend of mine worked out in Norway and he was showing me a couple of sessions and had four or five different combinations before a finish. And I'm like, can we strip that back? Um, and, and really focus on a simple pass, but really working on the technique. And what what I'd say Marcelo does is it's just every drill is is an action of the game, but it's a simple action, but something that happens all the time. So he won't tell you what's going on. He tells you to watch the sessions. So watch the sessions and you see the game, but it's it's really, really simple. So now on my thought process of looking at everything, I always think, how can I simplify that? so that the players don't need to think too much about it. They can really concentrate on the technical execution. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't do stuff around decision-making and things like that, but I just think it's more important that you just strip it back, simplify it, and, and, and make sure that you get your technical actions that you want from that drill. Um, so that's like the biggest thing that, that I've took from, from watching his, uh, his whole sessions. One of the things that kind of when you, you do a bit of research into him and looking at YouTube and all that type of stuff that really interests me is he, it seems like a lot of the work that he does is in smaller groups. So it seemed like some of the videos I've seen, it might be, you know, kind of a couple of left wingers and a couple of strikers and they're really working on that. If you we look at the Raheem Sterling Kane goal from Ukraine, for example, yeah. he'd really work on that action of driving at a defender, coming inside and then slipping that ball in behind and the timing of the movement um, and I guess that links in a little bit to what you're saying there in terms of we're not going for four or five or six different types of rotations off of those players it's literally honing that skill of driving inside the weight of the pass the timing of the movement and nailing down those details for the players so they understand the action they're completing yeah, yeah, 100%. I think if you watch any of the top staff, any top coaches around the world, um, they all use that within their sort of uh, identity or methodology, again, whatever you want to call it. Like even the same with, with Pep at Man City, uh, they'll break it right down to that, that fine detail of that specific movement around double movements, triple movements. And it, it's more around the individual within the game. Um and just making sure that they're doing the right actions, which is going to support what they want to do um, in the game at the weekend. And I think one of the biggest ones talking about Raheem then and Sterling in England, if you look at his movement now and how he manipulates the defender, that's all come from um, Pep Guardiola working on them specific movements. And if it wasn't like specific to him, then he might not have took it on board. Um, but yeah, going back to the Marcelo, I think, yeah, everything... I'm not saying everything, but majority of his work is, is in, in small sort of groups and, and, and technical focus, but everything's got a physical element to it as well. So it's physical attached to technical. Do you think that's why there's such, such an improvement in the players and in his care? I mean, you look at like the Bilbao team from a number of years ago and players like Munayin under Marcelo, he was absolutely flying kind of since has maybe dropped off a little bit, if you like. 
Same with Marseille, same with Chile and stuff. Do you think you see players improve so much because he's able to go into that level of detail with them, which really allows them to implement techniques better in a competitive environment? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think. Listen, I think the the best thing that he's done is he's he's brought down the game and he's got so much experience and, and that's credit to him and his staff. Like they work, you know, a, a ridiculous amount of hours. It that they're just they're just like they love football so much. And like you think about the the amount of time that they've been involved in football, um, they've just sort of dissected it and broke it into into small sections of the game and what they see over a period of time. And then obviously I just will use like a, a winger as an example, but they'll have, over that time they've brought down like how what does a movement look like? What's the passes that they receive? Um, what are they doing once they've received the ball? And then they just work that action. And for me, that's just going to help any player. Um, because if you're a winger, even if you don't quite understand what the drill's about um, and you're doing that action all the time, that's things that's going to happen in the game all the time. So you're actually, you're there going, oh, I've just done that now and, and that, that was quite clean what I did. And I think, use an example, I, I don't know if you saw the one where Bamford spoke a couple of years ago, he talked about doing the movements all the time and then suddenly he was like just doing it in a game. I think he was talking on Sky Sports about it and that, that's the, the type of thing and that's why I think um, once all the players sort of believe in what he's doing, that's why they go to another level and, you know, there's, there's no sort of shying away. The Leeds team that he took over was a sort of mid-table championship team and I think that was probably one of the exciting things for him to sort of show that his methods can can help them and and help Leeds as a whole, which which it has done. You know, it's took the club and the players to, to another level. I think one of the things it's highlighted for me is that uh, traditionally we probably have an idea of player development that it stops at like 24, 25, 26, that actually you're not going to get any better. The techniques you've got of what you've got and that is what it is and if you look at other sports like your basketballs and stuff like that, they'll still work on the principle that they can improve their game. I think looking at the work that he does with the players, it challenges that and says, that actually, no, throughout your career, if you keep working on these areas, you can improvement, improve and you can see improvements in real life situations. I'd assume from what you've seen firsthand that you would agree with that, that actually players don't matter where they are in their journey, can see improvements with the right support. Yeah, 100%. I think, um, just look at the Leeds team now, you know, look at the individuals. And I think I think even just like your, your Calvin Phillips, I think he'll be the first to say that Marcelo took his game to another level. Um, I'm not saying he wouldn't have got there, you know, eventually. But with, with that sort of fine detail work and a lot of position-specific stuff with working with Marcelo and his team and, not only that, the 23 staff and the 18 staff, um, it's took his game to another level, uh, which has now seen him in a semi-final of the Euros. Uh, not, like I said, I don't, I'm not saying he wouldn't have got there, but he's got there quicker than probably what expected. So I think, um, and you could name probably another 15 players that are in that squad who probably feel the same. And then we could look back over his previous clubs and, you know, and, and, the, and how players talk about him, you know, whenever they've worked for him, they all, they all praise him and, on how he's developed the game. But it's just, He's just, um, yeah, he's just unique in that sort of side of it. And he's very different and, and it's, it's really good because it gets you thinking about your session design and um, it's, it's been really good. And I think for, for the players, anybody who plays for him, like what, what a position to be in and just brace it, take it on and, and uh, 
listen to everything that they've got to do, or they say. <laughs> so, and this is a question I think everyone asks, they're trying to think, Murderball. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. what is it? What, what does it actually entail? And I guess from the outside, how brutal is it? I won't go into the details because it's not for me to, to say that. I'll leave that to people who sort of brought it together. But from my side of it, looking at it, it is, uh, it's another level. <laughs> um, to just put it in a nutshell, it is high intense games, um, no rest periods, no fouls, um, balls in play all the time and just stretching the players. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff in there which the which they sort of put into the games to make sure that it's it's running how they want it to run. Um, and obviously, you've got the S&C and everybody who's working the times and everything. But if you watch it from the outside in, it's like just putting 22 players who have not played for 10 years who are dying to get on the pitch and you just throw balls in and off you go. But it's, um, it's just one of them. It's a real simple concept that, like... It gets what the gets what they want out of it, you know, and and I think like if you're looking at the fitness fitness levels of Leeds over the last two or three years, and even in the Premiership this year, I know everybody had had the question marks of, of could they do the same thing in the Prem? Well, they've shown it, and I think uh, I would say quite a bit of uh, that comes from Murderball. Um, but for me, it's not it's not for me to go into full details about it. I wouldn't want to be the one to to let everything go, but. From the outside in it, it's uh, very interesting. <laughs> is it something so I know the 18s are doing it today. <laughs> I was going to say, is it something that's transitioned down now? Do they do it through the, I guess, from 15s up? Do you guys do it or a version of it? Yeah, I think um, so. These, I don't think they mind me saying, but the, the 18s will do it when they haven't got a game. The 23s, obviously the 23s staff now was the 18 staff, so he works closely with the first team now. Yeah, it's um, it's sort of built around players who haven't played or are leading into games um, and try to replicate, um, if not make it harder than than a normal game. So everybody does it. We do it on, uh, same with us with the 15-16s, we'll do it maybe on a smaller scale because usually when they're doing it, a lot of players jump up. So you might have some 18s jump up with the 23s, 23s with the first team, 15-16s. So it's it's good. Um, and, and like you say, it sort of replicates the the game but like uh it's, it's just interesting to watch <laughs> that's all i can say uh i'm glad i'm glad i don't play in that team when it's when you play murder ball <laughs> yeah i for, for the brief explanations i've had and you you've heard different people talk about it i don't i don't think that'd be one for me i think i'd enjoy being a goalkeeper <laughs> in that one um yeah no. so i i guess for you and kind of where you are in your journey and from all the learnings that you've had and whatnot, when he came into the club, what what was the environment like, and how how much time does he spend with you as a coach? Because I'd imagine watching sessions great, watching the first team and whatnot is great, but there's probably at points where you want to be able to interact and whatnot with him. So how how was that environment around the club for you when he very first stepped through the door? Yeah, I think I think when um, I came in at the same time, so it, it was an interesting one because uh, when we first all came in, we were all in the same type of office. But I think on terms of us sort of being in and sort of speaking to him, it's just so hard. I mean, obviously, you, you pass across and you say hi and you see the first team staff. But honestly, like I've never seen, in, in, as long as I've been in football, I've never seen um, 
him and his staff or anybody work as hard as them. So you don't really want to sort of bother them too much. Now, I'm not saying there's, there's opportunities where you do get a chance to just have a chat and see how they are and, and what they're doing. Um, but on terms of talking and asking, um, I remember when I first went in, I was watching a couple of sessions. He just tells you to watch, watch the sessions. And, and, and that's a, that's about really, that's the message that's pushed down. Um, the, the academy manager likes to sort of, he'll be the one who sort of filters it in with us. And then if there's any questions around that, we, he can sort of link that in with us as well. We're fortunate enough that our, the academy building is just right next to all the first team. So we, we can watch the sessions from start to finish every single day. And like I say, if there is something that you want to ask um, any of the staff, you can ask them, um, but you just don't want to bother them too much. And they will do. They'll, they'll sit and give you the time when they've got a bit of time. Like so, this this summer, obviously, Marcelo and his staff have been watching the little seven, eight, nines, elevens all trainings. You know, when when they've been in a bit of a break, so they do spend time with the academy. It's just end of the day. Ultimately, the first team's their job, um, and and you know, obviously, the work that they put into that is difficult for them to to come and sit down with us and talk about it. But it, but like I say, with the 23s working closely with them, the 18s now, um, it's just all sort of filtering down and we're having more meetings about it. On the environment-wise, just what what's happened at the club since I've been there is just worlds apart. You know, when you're talking about the training ground, it's like we've had extra buildings put in, the swimming pools back in, um, the all the pitches have been relayed um, to, to the standard that he wants. And going back to when I was first at Leeds in the Premier League, um, it's like being back there again. You know, sort of feel like of a big club, and and that's sort of what he's brought to the club. So no matter what, when he uh, when he eventually decides to move on, he'll leave it in a lot better place. And I think that's sort of been a huge credit to him and his team for that, and for for obviously the directors and, and everybody for bringing him in. And do you think the standards, it sounds like they're the sta- kind of big on the standards of it all. So we're looking at, obviously, how hard they work, even as a simple one, that if you're an 18s coach and he's working that hard, you can't be going home halfway for a day because it's like, well, you know, him and his team are right there with the relaying pitches, pools and that type of stuff. Do you think the standards, just in terms of what he's brought in, will be sustainable moving forward for, for the club because like even for me the outside looking in and hearing stories and stuff Leeds were always a massive massive club and it seemed like, like you said like the swimming pool thing I don't people may not know you might want to talk or talk around that or not but like shutting those things down letting go of your pitches they're little standards that slowly over time probably eradicate kind of the identity and profile of the club whereas if you've got someone right at the very top going no 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 that, that needs to be right, this needs to be sorted, it brings everyone and drags everyone along with him. Yeah, no, 100%. But I think there's people in the club before, obviously Marcelo came in, obviously when we're talking right at the top, the chairman, the director of football, um, academy manager, they've got the same mould though. They're, um, they work every hour, um, live and breathe Leeds United. And I think that's um, like, partly down to them why Marcelo's come to Leeds United. I know about the history, but if they hadn't worked hard to get him hit, if they didn't have that same mould, they wouldn't have got somebody in like yourself. And sort of him coming in, obviously understanding what it's like and what his standard's like, just, just changes the whole tone of everything. Not so much the guys that we talked about, like academy manager and director, but for us as coaches, you're sort of seeing the standards that they're setting and you have to sort of follow. But on the flip side of that, I think it's great for young players. 
you know, because uh, we've got a lot of good young players and we always have done at Leeds United. Um, but for them now looking at the standard and, and looking what the first team do to then the 23s and the 18s, it just filters all the way down. Um, and, and since I've been at Leeds now for going into my fourth season, I can see a massive difference, um, even with the group that I'm working with now, compared to what they were like three, four years ago when they were only like 12 and 13. Um, and that's credit to, to everybody at Leeds United, not just Marcelo. Um, but he's, 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 you know, he's improved a lot of stuff and, and asked for a lot of stuff and credit to the club that they've sort of supported him on that as well. So looking at you personally, a lot of the work that you I've seen of yours on social media is quite good around the analytical side. So looking at the game, and I guess with Marcelo saying to you all the time, just watch, it gives you a keener eye for when you are watching a game day. Do you just want to talk through like some of the work you do around the game-based stuff and looking at like formations and how people change formations during games and all that type of stuff? I guess what got you interested in it and then what that process actually entails? Yeah, I think it starts back to when um, when I talked about following Marcelo from from the days of Chile, and I think everybody was talking about Chile playing a three at the back, but you know, and, and that was the famous sort of formation. But they didn't; they always went from a three to a four. So you know, when you're seeing people put out the formation or they're playing three at the back again, and then he comes over to Europe and everybody's mentioning a three at the back, and I was sat there going, "They're not the flipping in between all the time." At the time, not understanding the systems like I do now, but understanding like in any game, if you're starting for back four, it'll go to a back three anyway. So when obviously um, he came in with his staff and and sort of I got on with the 23s coach at the time, um, we used to just share ideas and, and talk about systems. And it was funny actually because um played against uh, you guys, Southampton, in uh, it had been in the Premier League 2 Cup, I think our 23s. And uh, you guys were fixing from your centre half and causing loads of problems in one game. And we sat there and I think um, Marcelo and his team and everybody must have seen it. And that's when they started to talk about the changing the mark, the systems, how to match up. And then ever since then, it's just been um, absolutely superb. On talking about systems, and again, this is something that I believe not so much everybody at Leeds United or um, people that I work with all the time, but for me alone on systems, is it's about not so much matching them up, it's making sure that you win your transition. And the easiest way to give me an example to give you an example is is if I play um four three three and play against a, a four diamond two, there's obviously you've got loads of opportunity to win uh, win the sides, so the outside spaces cause problems if you can switch the play, get it out there. And obviously on the flip side the diamond can overload the midfield. So what you find is you get one team dominating the game or the other. Um, but if you're both equal teams, every time there's a transition, there's an opportunity to go forward because uh, of where people are positioned. Um, and you'll know that in any system that you play. And how I used to work is I used to work out of a 4-3-3 all the time and teach my team how to deal with all the different systems. And I look back and I think, God, the players have to think uh, that to understand so much of the game. And now with the system change, so going back to what I was saying, if you change to a back three, so if you go to a 3-3-1-3, then that sort of gives you the the transition to win the transition because everybody's near enough to find the mark, if that makes sense. But also a plus two to build, that's including your keeper. And also then to find areas of how you can hurt them. Um, it's a lot easier if I could show you on a tactics board, but it's all about the, the, the transition. And I think uh, a lot of games are won and lost on the transition. And I think it's interesting when you're watching the 
um, England as well. When we're looking at the Scotland game and the matchups, Scotland, um, if we're talking about defensive transition, this is just off the top of my head. So if I get it wrong, I do apologise. But on the, the stats that I did, when uh, we was in our defensive transition, Scotland played forward and broke lines over 60 times. And out of them 60 times, they got on the half turn and caused problems. Um, which then, I know that they didn't go on and score and create an opportunity, but it swings momentum. So suddenly we're on top and then the, the break of the line, the going to the forward who's on the half turn, the, the centre-back, so who goes with him, gets on the turn, the next thing you know, the 30, 40 yards up the pitch, which, and then the Scotland fans are, you know, are singing away and momentum just changes. And this is the types of stuff that you see a lot now with, with the system stuff. And and I just always think in my head now and the staff who are working with me and, and I'm pretty sure the, the 18s, 23s and the first team are thinking the same. If you change the system, you're always going to be close to your mark, which keeps you uh, keeps the momentum on them. So, like I say, it's difficult to explain like on a, a podcast like this. Um, and it's a lot easier to, to go through if, you, if you've got a tactics problem, but hopefully I explained that okay. No, I think you're good. People understand. And obviously, at the end, we, we can signpost them towards your Twitter and stuff. So if they want to see any visuals, there's some really good bits of work that you, you do on there. So in terms of how many times you would look to change in a game, would it constantly be evolving um, in terms of what you're asking the players to do and what how you're building the attack, how you're looking in transition, all that type of stuff? Yeah, I think I think for me, um, on average, you could change up to two or three. Um, obviously, at top level, you can you can see them go through quite a few. What you got, members? If we're talking about ten systems of play, um, there's there's four systems in there which you rarely see. You do see them now and again, um, and you might see it in the flow of a game depending on the state of the game. But the six systems which predominantly most teams use, so you can you can be quite flexible. Also, if you're playing out of a 4-3-3 um, and you, you're matching that up against a 4-2-3-1, if the midfield dynamics change, there's one system change already without anything else moving. Um, whenever the opposition go to, let's say, a three at the back, then it's easy enough for, for you to push on a full-back or winger. There's always four ways of changing. I know it sounds complicated, but it's actually quite easy and fluid for the players if you, if you show them. Um, even if... Even if it just means a, a full-back becoming a wing-back, it just means that they're playing 20, 30 yards higher up the pitch, um, but always closer to the mark and always in a position where they can affect the back of them. Um, so in terms of that, I know I know the first team have flipped between a number of positions. It's more in the championship, if I'm honest, you know, where teams are trying to catch them out. But it's one of them where you can you can get a feel of what they've been playing for the first, well, five games prior to it, you can get a feel of what they're doing. So you, you get an understanding of two systems that they might be playing and you can adapt um, as you go through the game. But for us, yeah, we, we we might play, sometimes we might even just play out of one system. And in certain games where we played, we played Man United this year and we we played out of three systems. But every time we made the change, the subtle, the subtle change, it gave us control of the game again. Um, and it was an interesting chat with the staff after, you know, around uh, what we were doing. Um, so, and how important is it to support your players in this? So, I look at if you look at the home nations league. So, you've got um, England and Wales, for example. Ben yeah. Davis and Carl Walker. Traditionally, you could know them more as just fullbacks. It would have been right back and left back. But kind of, 
over recent years, you've seen Kyle Walker at times shift inside. Ben Davis has, has done the same. I'd imagine at, at points um, you're going to be asking potentially Calvin Phillips to drop into the middle of a three or something like that. So how important is it working with players so they understand the techniques that are going to be required when they are making these subtle differences, even if they are just 20 yards inside or 20 yards up or, or what that looks like? Yeah, I think that falls into your, your training model, really. I think um, depending on your numbers and what you've got, I know, I know that not everybody can uh, can have 11 v11s, but for me, just playing the systems in, in training. Um, so something that, that I've done, well, a friend, a friend of mine does with his team now, he, he manages at semi-professional and uh, we've just talked about the systems and how you can do it. He was really reluctant in doing it because he didn't think that they could do it that standard. And uh, so I encourage him to try it. And it's, it's been really good. Now, what they do is, is they do one training session a week on 20 minutes where they'll play out of a 4-3-3 and the opposition will play in, in the 4-2-3-1. And then after six minutes, they'll change. So they'll change them and then they'll just move the personnel. So the right back will go and play inside slightly. And they'll just do 20 minutes, half an hour every single week training. Now, like I said to you, and I've mentioned to them, I tell him not to worry about the 10 systems, but focus on maybe three or four to work out the four. And then as you get further down the line, you can start to, to adapt against some of the other systems, which you really will come up against anyway. And they've caused a lot of problems um, before the pandemic and what they were doing. But I think going back to sort of the learning, I think it's just putting players in that position, um, you know, and, and, and stretching them. And it comes back to the development thing around I think the modern day player can play three positions anywhere. Now, I'm not saying a right back and a centre forward, but you're talking, if you're talking Carl Walker, he could play right back and he can play centre half and he could probably play as a, a wing back slash winger. Um, a centre half could tend, most centre halves now can tend to play in midfield or play full back. Um, if we're talking Calvin Phillips, he can, he can play as an eight, he can play as a four and he can play as a, a centre half. And I think, I think just the way the game's going now, I think it's really important that players have got to be adaptable and be able to play three systems. And you see Maguire talk about with England now saying that he's really comfortable from going from a, a back two to a back three. And I just think that's the way it's going. And I think as coaches, I don't think there's anything wrong with putting players in that position all the time um, and just tweaking where the play, as long as it's not, like I say, something a little bit out of the box where they're going from right back to a forward, you know, it's, it's a million miles away from each other. That, But... Um, yeah, so that's how I would look to do it and just try to, to keep doing it every single week and stay consistent with it and making sure that they're, they're playing over maybe two, three positions. So would this be a time now kind of in pre-season stuff? Obviously, I know you're looking to build fitness naturally and probably, well, I used to run up hills because <laughs> that's what we had to do, <laughs> yeah, but so. as everyone, a little bit of running and stuff. But is that something you're looking to try and integrate into those new players of going, you know, at points we're going to switch during the week and we're going to have six minutes on this, six minutes on that, and just slowly integrate in so they get the idea that actually this may come further down the line and it's not going to be a shock? Yeah, I think um, if we're looking at the players that I'm working with this year, they've been doing it now for two seasons. So even last year, um, they was they was doing bits. It sounds quite daunting to a lot of people, like, and, and same as me, I said, I used to work out of a structure all the time. But I'd say when you're doing it, it's actually simpler than you think. It's just making sure that you put the players in that sort of situation um, quite a lot. Um, I do it all the way through the season. Um, I try to fit in, you know, one session a week where we, we, we do something like that. But like I say, it's once I've done it three or four times over a period of maybe four or five weeks, then you're just continuously doing it, it becomes a habit. 
and the players are just so used to doing it. There's there's obviously a lot of things that you have to work on, uh, which we don't need to go into now around like sort of changing the mark and things. But on the system stuff, it's quite easy and quite flexible. Um, and how you want to press and how you want to sort of um, play in your attacking organisation is up to you really as a coach. And I imagine like two major facets of the game in terms of building the attack from those deeper areas and pressing from the front. Once you're giving them exposure to doing that, they're going to get more and more used to it. So if we, if we look at pressing for, from the front example, if you've switched from a one up there to a two, after explaining to them maybe the first couple of times that we want you to start narrower, you know, go play, encourage play one side, and then keep it down there for our fullback to go and latch onto their fullback, or you know potentially go and latch right on and encourage someone else to play into the form. We're going to press that once they understand that that's happening after one or two occasions, they're naturally going to begin to incorporate it the minute you do switch across. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think I think you've got to remember. I think um, most teams allow a player back four or back three, and any back four goes into a back three. So, and, and because if you're talking anything more than that, it's sort of a default system, I would say. So if they go to a back two, it's a bit more of a default system. Now, I know you can argue and say that you have two and a three. Like you look at Spain last night where they've got two centre-halves and a three in front. That's fine. But I just think that's an adaptation of what a back four or a back three, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, so for me as a forward, you know, and we're talking, let's just use a, a nine as an example. If they're playing with a back uh, back four, his job is primarily to force the play one way, which we all do. If they're playing in a, a back three, it's about dividing two of them and forcing it one way with a partner. Do you see where I'm going? And, and I just think that's the only bit that they need to understand. And then obviously when the ball's gone past them and then we're sort of more into, let's say, a medium to low press, it's then picking up positions of where we can break to go forward. Everything else... You know, it's easy for them because they don't need to see any other pictures because there aren't many other pictures. Um, it's either a back four and a back three to us, and if it's a two, he's just dealing with the two uh, two centre backs anyway. So the message is really simple, and and as a wide forward, it's as simple as is find your mark, keep him on the outside, ball goes on the other side, half the pitch. Um, and and again, it's slightly different with a back three. But it's, it's you know the pitches are, are not a million miles away from each other, so it's quite it's quite easy when you're working with the nines around what it looks like in a, a two and a three, uh, sorry, uh, a four and a three. I'm going to pick this up just because it's a personal preference of mine. I love the fact you said mid to low press and not mid to low block because I hate the terminology <laughs> of block because it automatically <laughs> makes you seem passive, whereas. Yeah. personal belief of mine is that you can be aggressive all over the pitch. I, I love the terminology on that. But what, what you're saying there, it seems like, linking back to your earlier point, the simplicity in message is key for allowing the players to play quick. So if you're saying to them, keep play one way, or as a two, we're going to force it to one of the centre-halves, keep play one way, and then you're going to come with ten. By giving them these simple mantras or simple messages, it's going to allow them to do the actions quicker rather than over-complicating everything. Is that... Is that the right theme that you're going on there? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's what um, I think that's what the system matchups gives you. Um, so again, going back to the England Scotland game, like there were, there were, I think off the top of my head again, if I get it wrong, I do apologise. I think there were six players out of that 
um, starting eleven who had multiple roles in the defensive um, organisation. So at one point you had Kane screening the four, then he's pressing the back three, and then you had Ford and he was getting caught in between, um, and then it was James who was playing at right back at the time. Does he does he become narrow? Does he go? And the same on the other side. And I just felt that everybody was stuck in between dual roles around screening and pressing. But then if you get the system match up right, you link, you sort of you're matched up everywhere below you. So you've only got one or two actions to think about, and you're not you're not getting confused with what you're doing. And that comes back to like the simplicity of, um, for me, of just changing the system to make sure that you can find your mark and then you're looking off your, your same actions as a forward if we're talking about pressing. And has there been any like golden moments with this where you've been struggling against a side and then you, you've switched systems or you've spoken to a player and said, can you recall this? And they've gone, yeah, I know what you mean. And then you've seen vast improvements. Is there any like particular examples of that that stand out to you? Well, yeah, like, like there's been there's been quite a few. Um, I think, like obviously, I've been doing this this before actually, sort of coming into um, into Leeds, if I'm honest, like playing with the systems of just because of, of the stuff that we'd seen before. But now having a clearer idea of it, it's, it's easy to put across to the players. But even to a point now, the players will adapt without us talking. I think that's the best thing. So if the players can can change within the game without you saying anything. I think that's the best thing for the coach because that means that they're thinking, they're adaptive, they understand the, what's going on. And there was there was one this season um, when we had a, a cracking game against Man United and, you know, top side. And earlier on in the season, they had a bit of a thumping by him and, um, and we was in a bit of a cross period of, of, of what was going on, players stepping up and things like that. And then the second half of the season, we played them and, we was playing, so it was, it's always a matchup. So it's four three three, four two three one against Man United. Um, when we was winning the game, we're comfortable, and they changed at half time, which was a brilliant change from them. Scored straight away, and it was a great change from them. And I know the staff well anyway, so it was a uh, it was one of them. I knew something was coming, but the players changed straight away. Um, so they went to a four four two, and our lot went to a, a three four three, um, and we just got to control again straight away and it was it was just superb from the players just to see it and there was a real subtle movement our left back went into the back three our left forward came as a wing back and our right forward went as a, uh, as a forward and our right back pushed on and we just flipped it a little bit um, and then midfield obviously pushed on but it was it was just really really interesting how they did it you know and uh, yeah that was a good moment although I've, I've seen it over the last two three years now um, it was just good because that springs to mind because it, it was obviously not too long ago. And against the top team as well, to be able to identify that against the top team and adapt accordingly is really good. What was the decision making for the players behind switching to a 3-4-3? What was the decision? Why why was that allowing them to counter what United were trying to do? So the two forwards, so they're two really like they brought a forward on really lively. Um so that, that if you're looking at it as a, a back four, they put the two forwards on you've got one V ones right in front of your goal. Um, so going to the back three was to give you a plus one. So and then in midfield you just matched up in a four four two. So a four uh, four and a four. Um, so it's equal numbers. And then obviously we dealt with the top um, with just a negative one like we always do anyway. So the the back three gives you a plus one. You've obviously got the keeper to use as well as a safety net um, or to try draw out the forwards. And then the midfielder just close to the mark or trying to win their personal duels. So it was. Um, it was a really good flip um, and it was good by the lads on, on how they did it and 
like I said to you before, any time in the system change, you've always got the plus one, plus two to build, so you can just weather the storm. You can imagine it was quite a Leeds Man United games are quite big, no matter what age group you play. I mean, we're not bothered about winning; it's just more about performance for us. Um, but it's, it's easier said than done when you're telling the players and Man United, uh, uh, you know, coming at you, and they were a bit uh, racked off as well. So when they scored. You can imagine what it was like straight after half time, but because of that subtle change from the players, it just gives us a chance to have an extra one or two passes without them getting full pressure on us. Whereas if we'd have stayed in the same system, chances are we could have gone psychologically because they've gone again and pressed and won again and then got 1v1s and the two lads, two forwards were very good for them. So we needed that sort of matchup. So it was uh, so it was really good on how they did it because they, then they managed that next 10, 15 minutes really well, got real control of the game and just caused problems. And again, flipping it back to them, it's it's on them to maybe change something for us to be ready. But that sort of stayed the whole uh, well, the same pattern of the game to the end, really. And in terms of like individual development plans for your guys, I imagine like some of that work that they're identifying there would probably be done with an analysis. Um, and, you know, showing footage back to them and saying, this is what we could have done previously and then building on that knowledge. What kind of foundations do you guys put in to help them improve kind of holistically in that individual area? Yeah, I think, I think like most clubs as well, you have, you have sort of your, your individual ILPs and what they need to work on. As a centre-half, it, it might be something uh, real specific, out of possession, might be just sort of winning duels long balls, you know, anything like that, uh, footwork, 1v1 jewels in possession, might be receiving, breaking lines. But talking on the tactical side, it's just it's just subtle clips after a game with the uh, analysis around system changes, what it looks like. Any game we can get hold of as well, um, you know, in the world that can show that. And then just sort of reminding them over and over again of like, this is why we do it. Um but it's just sort of marrying out. We don't worry about it too much. We more worry about the individual. So going back to the position-specific stuff, it's more around like the sort of technical actions in and out of possession and then just drip-feeding the system stuff. But most of the system stuff's just done on the pitch. Um, like I said, in 11v11 or 8v8, however you want to um, get it across to the players. So most of that stuff's done on the pitch with a subtle reminder before the game um, if we know we're coming up against them, just a just a couple of video of like this is what it looks like and this is why we're doing it. And on on the action front, how much space uh, like per week do the lads get in order to go and practice those? So if it is a centre half working on his distribution into the nine, for example, how much opportunity during the week does he get to practice that? And what support mechanisms have you got for him to be able to improve in that area? Yeah, we've been we've sort of been lucky enough. I'm just going off uh, back in the last season. There was um, four staff with me at, at the them age groups. Um, all sort of had all played different roles, really. You know, um, some are more defensive, some are attacking. So what we do is, and somewhere in the week, so if we had three training sessions, two out the week, they'd break off um, and go do at least half an hour, position specific. Um, if there's less coaches, what we tend to do then is break them into two halves. So like your core and your hat. So it'd be your defenders and your defensive midfield, uh, defensive minded midfielders, your attacking midfielders and your your strikers or your three forwards would go off and work. But we look to if we've got three sessions, four sessions a week, we look to do it a minimum of uh, two sessions a week, just just to really um, go after what we're going after. So like example, this week 
Um, we've already done an in-possession, out-possession, and in there we've broke off and done some individual stuff already. Um, also with team stuff, when we're talking about like high-pressing and building. So, but twice a week, if if we can. And then do you have like a curriculum base that you have to do in and around that? Or is it... Yeah, no, do you have a curriculum base in and around that you have to work off of or not? Yeah, I think, I mean, if you're looking at Leeds now, we've obviously got um, academy manager who's superb. We've got head of coaching now who's coming, who's, who's um, FA background and everything. So we've got a really good balance. Um, our the, the mentor who comes in from the FA is, is top, top draw. So like when we're talking about like a curriculum, we have got um, a framework that we go off. Um, but what I quite like about the academy manager is not there telling you, you must do this, you must do this session. But the only things that we've got is we've got a framework that we work off. Um, so that's making sure that we that we sort of hit all four phases of the game. So, you know, if you're talking about your attacking organisation, defensive organisation, and then the two transitions. So as long as you're sort of hitting them throughout your week, they're happy with that. And then there's certain elements that we need to drip feed down from from the first team, which is sort of coming more into play this year. So it might be we'll have to do maybe two out of the 10 technical practices from the first team in possession and out of possession, uh, which is fine because I think that comes back to what we talked about earlier um, in the podcast around we want to try and make sure that that transition from a 15, 16-year-old to 18s to 23s and first team, um, it's got to be a lot easier so that, that we haven't got a 15-year-old going in with a 23s and he's never done the drills before. So that's good. Um, so we have a bit of our freedom to, to sort of work within the framework. And then obviously we've got certain things that we need to do. And I think it's a really good balance for a coach because you can do some of the stuff that you like and then some of the stuff that they're, they're wanting you to do. What's really interesting about that is so I did a, um, a, a webinar, if you like, with uh, Rebel Salzburg, Inter Milan, um, Athletic Bilbao and ourselves and we were doing something. And Athletic Bilbao highlighted that they do that across the age groups. So they have certain drills that they'll do the entire fruit way through the pathway, which considering that's one of Marcelo's previous clubs would suggest that's something that's stuck in terms of allowing the players not to have to worry about getting used to the drill. They can work on getting the outcomes out of the drill rather than having to get used to it. So it's interesting that that's something that's obviously feeding into you guys as well and is allowing that transition for players when they do move across age groups, etc. Yeah, like like I say, it's, it's it's really important, and I think with um, not only that, the the twenty threes and the eighteen staffs are top draw as well, and uh, they're doing the same thing. And listen, when you start getting to that top end, it's the business end of the of the of football in it. So the last thing they want to be doing is teaching a younger player the drill over again. Um, they want to make sure that they can come in and really see what they like. And and I just I think it's better for a young player as well because. You've got a number of factors as a young player. If you're going into the first team environment, 16, 17 year old, the first thing you're going to be starstruck, you know, because you're going to see players next to you who are internationals. So then you've got to deal with that as a player. Not only that, you've then got to deal with the physica- physicality of it and the speed of it because it is a totally different level. And then if they have to learn the drill on top of that, you know, they're off to a tough start, you know, and, and like I say, when you're at the business end, they don't have time to waste. So I just I just think as a whole I think it helps the player um, transition across and and I and I think that the drills that they do as well is absolutely superb and the benefit the player as well around the technical actions 
So overall, for us, it's um, it's happy days, really. So moving, I guess, looking at your your previous clubs and stuff, and I know Barcelona, they've got a particular brand of way of playing and stuff, and I know that's something that kind of in Man City, they've, they've tried to ingrain that. What similarities or differences do you see between Man City and then the work that you're doing at Leeds? Because I know like Guardiola, for example, is very, um, a lot of his ideas, he's attributed to Marcelo Bielsa. Do you see any particular similarities across the teams or is there anything that you particularly highlight that's very different in what the two clubs do? I've been asked this question a few times. It's a, It's a really good question. It, when I when I first looked at it, I thought it was quite similar. So when I'm going back two years ago, and this is what I was saying about uh, when I thought I knew how Marcelo and his team worked, and then I looked at it and I was way off. Um, at the time, I thought they were very similar. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, you see that. But I think that was just me sort of being focused on thinking that they the both liked each other and Pep loved everything that he did. Uh, now I look at it, I think it's worlds apart. You know, when I, when I look at everything, and I actually think that um, somewhere along the line, I think Marcelo's mentioned that before as well. Um, the one thing that I do see is, is um, when I see some of Pep's sessions now, um, just talking on terms of like whether someone shares something or you see something on social media, you see a lot of the same actions and a lot of stuff uh, like the, the sort of micro side of the game. Like, so the forwards might be doing a specific movement but they've got a finish on the end, or it's an adaptation of what I've seen of, of what Marcelo would do. They're the only things that I really see. And then I, I think that if we're talking about the positional play, I think Pep really backs his uh, how he sets up um, and, and how he wants to hurt the opposition. But now and again, you do see him change um, the system, which might be something that he took from Marcelo. Um, so I do think there's little bits in there, but I think a lot of it is different. Um, and, and just from my ter- my time at sort of City as well, I think it was more built around positional play, um, working with your individual in that position. You know, they're very possession based. Um, you know, you know that sort of style. So I do think that it's very different, mate. If that's the right way of sort of putting it across, with a touch of uh, stuff from him. No, it's interesting because uh, you you look at it, and I I'd agree with you. Like on first glance, because it's very intense. And both teams like having the ball and being progressive. You're like, oh, that's quite similar. But actually, if you look at the way the two teams play, Man City, you can see like a a real structure in the way that they build and a real structure in what they're trying to do and triggers they're looking for in order to play in certain aspects. Whereas with you know with Leeds etc., I I would say from the outside it looks a little bit more chaotic. Although there is obviously structure and whatnot in it but you can see that the players like are adapting to surroundings that are around them. So I look at someone like Luke Aylin, for example. I watched him maybe against Tottenham, potentially, or Southampton as well. I saw him receive the ball in pretty much the same position three times in a row, and each time had a different variation of what he did. One time he drove, I think he, he bounced around the corner into Phillips, drove inside, received the one-two. The next time... He opened out, bounced off the wide player and drove inside. And the next time he just hooked around the corner into a nine. And I was like, actually, that's a great, like you can see there, there's obviously an adaptation to what's around him. And he's adapted that. Whereas I I think with Man City, you wouldn't necessarily always see that variation. You'd be like, right, that's not the pitch we want to see. We'll recycle it and go again. 
Yeah, no, it's a, it's good that you spotted that, to be fair. But that, them types of things that you've just mentioned there, they're all like the the individual actions that we're talking about. You know, so again, how they've looked at it, they've seen them actions over the years and that's what they replicate on the training pitch. So it becomes it becomes a habit for Ailing. So like you said about them three them three actions that he did, they were all stuff that you see fullbacks do all the time, but it becomes a habit to him all the time. And because the top players um, they'll start the decision making married up with that is, is usually top draw and executed in the right way. Um where Man City very structural, very positional sense, um, holding positions, um, drawing the opposition to a certain area. And I'm not saying Leeds don't do this, but it's just, uh, you can. I think you can see it that it's worlds apart when you watch the teams. But then there is an element where if they're playing against a certain system, and I use the example this year, what stood out to me was when Man City went and uh, changed the formation to a 3-4-3 um, when West Ham was playing 4-4-2, so, which was interesting. So they obviously do use parts of it. Yeah, no, it is interesting. I I think what's what I'm seeing in football as well. If you watch football from like 15 years ago, like I've been watching Euro '96 from years ago, yeah, it looks a way more fluid. <laughs> whereas now you can see the tactical elements that are in the game, and you can see that obviously that there is there is more structure to it. For you as a coach, how did you find being ingrained in that? Because I'd imagine that would be if you're having to teach that to the players that you know, position, positional type of play, you've got to have a really good working knowledge of it as well. So how did you go around like upskilling yourself so that you knew what what to teach, what you're trying to get across and also so you've got an in-depth knowledge of it? Yeah, it's uh, it sort of falls into when I left Man City, if I'm honest, because um went to, me, me and my friend set up a, like a, a bit of a, an academy, which was around players who got released from clubs and um, and then the strongest players within the area. So we had, we had like players from age 15 to like 18 and all we did is one training session a week. And in that time, we, we, we trained them and then we took them to pro clubs. And off the back of that, um, a company called I2Y approached us to set up an academy for them. And in that time... Um, and I won't bore you with it, but like in that time, we set up an academy over four years from age seven to to 21s, uh, where we had a full college program from 16s to 19s. And we had the 19s and then 23s, and then we run the first team. So basically, it was a blank canvas. And, and you know, listen, an, unbe- an unbelievable opportunity for us to do that and, and experiment with stuff and have no pressure. And, and it's credit to the, the directors as well for allowing us to do it. So in that time, when we were setting all that up, um, we had time to experiment. So we already had already had a, a philosophy DNA, which was made up of Leeds United before and Man City and all these different ideas. And it was 400 pages long. But in that time, we could experiment with some stuff that we're starting to learn around the systems. Um, and, and that's where we started to get a feel of it and started to understand it. Now, I, what I would say is I didn't fully understand it till I was watching Leeds do it. What, what what they did is they made it a little bit more simpler. So I, I was in a sort of fortunate sort of position to to have had four or five years of experiment with that right up to being a manager, you know, like in, in non-league. So um, that sort of helped me sort of grow my mindset around it and, and what the, the, the positives and negatives were, were from it. Don't get me wrong. Listen, we got it wrong loads of times. You know, we did some prep on 
two formations in pre-season, played two pro clubs, were absolutely brilliant. Got to the first game of the season and, and, and got absolutely done. <laughs> you know, lost the first game and we're like, we're way off here. So a lot of it was trial and error. So then you get to a point where when you're going back in, you're going into Leeds United and then you've got the experts who are doing it. And because my mindset was that way anyway, where I was intrigued, I sort of asked more questions and started to get a feel of it. So I was lucky and um, on that sort of aspect. So, yeah, building up for four or five years before I even got to Leeds was was a was a bonus. Um, and then obviously when you've got staff around now, the like say the 18s and 23s where we can all throw ideas at each other and everybody's doing the same thing. The academy manager will come watch a game. Even this year we we're playing Arsenal and he popped down and said, "What are you thinking system wise?" Which I don't mind because you know it keeps your mind sharp and keeps um, challenging you. And he was right and we, we flicked it slightly and then it helped us. So when you've got everybody sort of thinking the same way. Um, it's really, really good. But yeah, it's been a, a long journey. But once you get there, it's actually um, it's actually not that difficult to understand if you, if I was to sit there and show you on a tactics board. Is there any one thing that you you would steal from your time at Man City and go? This was my one key takeaway of like brilliant practice or brilliant environment or anything like that. To yeah, any environment you went to moving forward. Yeah, I think I think at Man City the environment's superb anyway, and I think like as a, as a club and an organisation, you know, there's there's not many better um, in the world from what I've seen, you know, like and and how they look after the staff and how they they work together and all believe in the same things. A blueprint now, it doesn't matter what it looks like, but it's just how they all believe in the same thing, um, and how the the players believe in it and they believe in the model. But you've got to remember it produces good players as well. You know, like they're teaching them to play the hardest way of football, if that's how you want to put it. So that no matter what environment they go into after, you know, they've got all the technical actions, they've got the the, the positional play. Um, and then if they go and play for a manager who maybe plays a different way, that should be easier for them. So I think I think that is something big to take away from it. And and plus also coaching positional play. I think, you, you know, you've got to understand, like, even with what we do, and, and you're looking at the first team right down. We've still got to do positional play. We've got to understand where people have got to be. So just taking little things out from them. Um, but really, really good club on, on, on what they believe in and, and the environment they create. Listen, um, I know that our time um, that we'd allotted is kind of fast approaching. So for me, and it's something I ask everyone, it might be challenging. Who is the best player or coach you've worked with or against and why? Player or coach? Player or coach. Um, best player I've worked with is a player called Ronaldo Vieira, who's currently at Southampton. Uh, reason why is because he came into that academy I was talking to you about at 13 year old, uh, moved over from Portugal at 11, 12, couldn't speak a word of English. Uh, a friend of mine saw him playing for school with his twin brother and at the time, we used to have this, the, the the training was in York, which is about 40 minutes away from Leeds, and they were Leeds-based. And we were talking about, would you like to come down training? And uh, only one of the brothers could speak English at the time, and you're talking 13-year-old, but we'll think about it maybe next year, but we'll come watch more games. And they asked what time training was and where it was. And uh, they literally turned up training one night in a little Benfica kit. And we had players who were like 15, 16, even players who would... Um, um, what am I saying? A player called Jason Mike, who was at Leeds United, could have gone to Chelsea, but he had some really bad injuries, bless him. 
he ended up training with us to get fit to go back in semi-pro. And you've got these two little Portuguese kids who were 13 year old in the in the Benfica kit who had got to this place in York. And I just think the re- like there's a couple of reasons why one of the best is one is attitude to get there. You don't see that in many kids. You know, they'll look at it and go, that's going to be two buses. We don't know where it is. I don't speak English. But then his attitude to learn. And when we got into 15, 16, we took him to a couple of clubs. Didn't take a chance on him. Um, and then eventually he came into our college programme, played a year. And in that time, we had a close relationship with Leeds. And uh, they took a, a bit of a punt on him. And then uh, the rest is history. Got himself in the first team within six months played 40-odd games for Leeds United and then signed for Sampdoria. And, you know, like one of the pictures came up this year of him and him and the actual Ronaldo um, playing alongside each other, against each other. And it was just like, that, that was like one of the best things. And I just think so proud of him because, and I use his story of everyone, is it wasn't easy for him and he wasn't the best player. Um, but his drive and his ambition to just get better all the time and the stuff that he did to get there, you know, he deserves it. And I, I use that story all the time. So that's sort of why I would say the best player. Perfect. Seems as good an answer as any. But Mike, listen, really appreciate your time. Loads of really stuff there, uh, really good stuff there. And I'm, I'm sure um, there'll be plenty more content for a second podcast. So at some point, I'll try and get you back on and we can go through like the other 15 years of your career that we didn't even touch up on. <laughs> We'll get a tactics board for next time. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Listen, really appreciate your time, mate, and I'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for having me on, mate. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.